and this isn't anything new or revolutionary, but the hardest things that you do in your life end up for the better with the people that you love. I feel a closer relationship with my listeners, with my bosses, uh, certainly with my family. So, and, and giving up control probably shouldn't be as hard as we make it. In our lives, we want to control so many things. And when you are forced to give it up, you know that you can do it again. So that if something in my life doesn't work out the next time that I'm trying to control, that's okay because I'm just going to keep going and do something else. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dodges marmette We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome to episode 118 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to say I'm so happy that April is here. That means we are really into spring, and even though spring can bring a lot of rain and mud in Minnesota, we know that summer is right around the corner, and guess what? It's the perfect time to reset your body and your liver, and this month we're hosting our quarterly seven-day functional medicine liver detox which is taking place on starting April 24th and going through April 30th. If those dates don't work for you, you can always find dates that do. As integrative health practitioners and health coaches, Stephanie and I really guide you through this wonderful seven-day journey. Um, The functional medicine detox boosts your immunity, can reduce your toxic load and bloating, increase your energy, improve digestion. Really, this all happens in one week. And you learn how to tune into your body's unique needs and walk away with a set of tools and a better understanding of your own body. Plus, you'll feel so proud of yourself for this accomplishment. So again, we start on April 24th, and you can head on over to our show notes or any of our social media links to sign up and get more details, and we cannot wait for you to join us. And now, let's welcome today's amazing guest and my friend, Jordana Green. Jordana is the co-host of the Paul and Jordana Show on WCCO Radio. From politics to parenting to cancer and meditation, Jordana covers it all on her show at WCCO Radio. She has been on the air for almost three decades. She started her career as a beat news reporter, then a medical reporter, and over a couple of decades and many markets, worked to become an Emmy award-winning television news anchor. In 2009, she joined Paul Douglas to help launch his new weather television network called Weather Nation TV as the VP of Programming. Then she was offered her own talk show at WCCO Radio in the Twin Cities. Honesty, authenticity, personal improvement, and fun are the tenets of her work and her life. The Paul and Jordana Show and Instagram are Jordana's home for life lessons and stories of resilience. 
She is so grateful for the opportunity to reach hundreds of thousands of listeners, readers, and followers who share the same goals of being brave, more knowledgeable, and becoming better people, better parents, better children, better employees, and better citizens of the world. In today's episode, we learn and hear about Jordana's experience and what it's like to be live on the radio every day, and then we really dive deep into Jordana's personal experience with leukemia and how that's affected her and how that's affected her family and her attitude. I think it gets very emotional, but she is so strong and amazing and has so much wisdom and advice for our listeners today. And and we're so appreciative that she is so willing to share her story with us today. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Thrive Chiropractic. I was first introduced to Thrive Chiropractic over five years ago for kinesiology-based food sensitivity testing. I was so amazed by this non-invasive and inexpensive technique that I took my son to have testing done, which confirmed some of his food sensitivities. Both my son and I now have regular tune-ups, and even my leery husband has felt the immense benefits from receiving chiropractic care, including cupping. With over 25 years of clinical experience, the doctors at Thrive Chiropractic, located in Minnetonka, Minnesota, combine their passion for wellness with a strong expertise in effective treatment approaches. When you first come to Thrive Chiropractic, the doctors are focused on helping you feel better as soon as possible, and they recognize that one type of treatment or technique does not work for everyone. Your comprehensive exam, personal goals, and individual concerns Help the doctors tailor your custom treatment plan for maximum results. Thrive Chiropractic's integrative approach offers holistic and effective healthcare with a full spectrum of complementary products and services, including acupuncture, massage, food sensitivity testing, CBD, and premium supplements. As a special offer, Thrive Chiropractic would like to invite listeners of our podcast to experience the gift of health with a $25 new patient visit, which includes the initial consultation, a comprehensive exam, any necessary x-rays, and first adjustments. Simply visit the website at www.thrivechiromn.com or call 952-746-5612 and reference the Arts of Living Well podcast. When you're seeking effective, non-invasive treatment approaches to support your health goals, let Thrive Chiropractic be your partner in wellness. Call or book online today. Hi, Jordana. We are so excited to have you as a guest on our podcast today. I met you through our youngest daughters, and it has been so much fun getting to know you and your adorable family. You are truly one of the strongest and bravest people I know, and I I admire you so much. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on our show today and to share your important messages with our audience. And I want to start out by saying that I know everyone has a story and we'd love for you to share your journey from TV journalist to radio show, co-host, mom, wife, and also a diagnosis that, you know, has changed your life. And I know that's a lot. So, you know, in a succinct way. (laughs) 
That is a lot, but thank you, uh, Stephanie and Marnie, for having me. I so appreciate uh, being here. I listen to your podcast and love your Instagram account. So thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, we know each other through our girls, but yes, mo most of my career was spent in television news. And I always wanted to be a news anchor when I was growing up. I would watch news as a child. I, um, I just, that's always something that I wanted to do. And I went to Syracuse University specifically for broadcast journalism. And that's what my degree is in. And um, then, you know, plan to move all over the country looking for jobs because that's what you have to do if you're serious about it. And that's exactly what I did. You know, I got hired as a producer or an intern in New York City first, uh, would stay late at night making tapes, probably illegally against the union uh, to, to get myself on camera. The reporters would be gracious enough to take me out, have pity on me and let me record something with them. Uh, and my off time, of course, and uh, put a tape together and got hired um, at a what's called RNN, Regional News Network. It was an offshoot of WTZA in upstate New York, in Kingston, New York. Uh, it was a New Jersey bureau. And that was my first on-air job. And uh, I reported, shot, edited. I was a one-man band, we called it. Now we call them, I think, uh, video journalists, but we called them one-man bands. I mean, you <laughs> carried your own shit and you slept around your own equipment and you hiked everywhere and you didn't have anybody else but you recording, shooting, editing, all that stuff. So I uh, learned a ton on that job, but it was very heavy. Uh, New, York, New Jersey has a lot of crime and it never took a day off. And it was it, it wore on me a lot. So I knew I wanted to do something a little bit different, but still in the field. And I had the good fortune of connecting with the news director and WBRE at WBRE, which is Wilkes-Barre Scranton, Pennsylvania. And she hired me as a medical reporter, even though I really didn't have background in the medical field. She had a medical reporter opening. That's when people had beats. And um, I jumped at the opportunity. And to this day, that job for NBC was like the best, one of the best jobs I've ever had. I made 25 grand a year and it was, I learned something every day. We, I felt like I helped people who watched us. It was a great, great job. Um, and that's sort of when things took off for me. I got an agent when I was there and landed my first anchor gig in Indianapolis, moved to Indianapolis to launch a morning show there, you know, sort of like a Good Day New York or well, uh, whatever would be here, um, you know, Fox Morning Show. It was one of the first in the country of the format that launched from 6 to 9 a.m. And that was a blast. And we had a great time there. Uh, worked there for two years. Mornings are really tough. Morning, I'm not a morning person anyway, but <laughs> I would I would weep openly in the shower at 3 a.m. Yeah. In, in a puddle. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. So uh, when the opportunity to come to Minnesota presented itself, I did that. And I was hired to do the nine o'clock news at Fox here in Minnesota, uh, which was um, Fox 29, which about a year after we came and launched this channel was bought by Fox Corporation. And then we got sent down to um, Eden Prairie and merged with Stu Swartz's uh, company, which was UPN. And then uh, about six years later, they canceled the network altogether and I got laid off. And so I was out of work for quite some time. It was during the recession. It was a bad time. Um, it was a bad time. My marriage fell apart. I was always looking for work and couldn't find it. I had three kids under the age of four. It was a hard time. And um, finally, I, I was always doing projects, though. I was creating reality TV shows for no money, you know, just doing what I can to keep my hand in the game. And reality TV was new and I knew how to produce. So I would produce shows and pitch them to Travel Channel, Bravo, all these channels. And um, one that I produced was with Paul Douglas, who's a local meteorologist here, nationally known. And I 
created a show for him called Extreme Earth that we pitched to the Travel Channel, which they liked, and except they didn't have any money. They said, it's way too expensive. My budget was way too out there because we were traveling all over the world. And, um, but they didn't, they didn't, so they didn't pick up the show, but it did make a connection with me and Paul. And he mentioned to me at one of our meetings, hey, I'm launching a weather network. Do you think you could come run it? And I had no idea how to do that. I have no experience in weather except tossing to the weather guy when I was in his, <laughs> you know, nothing. So I, I needed a job and I said, yes. And every day I would white knuckle it to work thinking, what am I going to do today? How am I going to move this product forward? I got to figure something out. And it was a great environment there of growth and youth. All the kids were younger than me. These meteorologists coming out of um, University of North Dakota and so smart and they didn't like hearing no, and neither did I. So we, when we didn't have things, we would invent them. You know, we didn't have sound. And one of the guys said, I can run to Best Buy and get an adapter and we can get sound. So all of a sudden we were doing live interviews with the director of the hurricane um, center down in Miami that we had never had before doing Skype interviews. So we, we really pulled that network up from the ground and launched it. And it's still on the air today, I'm proud to say. And um, so I, work, I feel like I'm talking too much, but you asked for a lot of this. So I worked there for a year uh, for Paul and out of the blue, out of completely nowhere, a program director at WCCO Radio reached out to me and said, your name came up in a meeting. We have an opening for a host. Would you be interested in you know, auditioning, trying that out? And TV is very different than radio. But I said, of course, because I try not to have regrets in life and I try to do all the things and take all the opportunities that are presented to me. Uh, so I did. I tried it. He seemed to like it. He offered me a job. And that's where I've been for it's going to be it's going to be almost 10 years. Wow. In, next June wow. will be 10 years at WCCO Radio. And I started as a nighttime host. I had an 8 to 10 show that went 9 to 11. Then uh, now I host the 3 to 6 show in the afternoon. And I have turned the tables and pulled in the guy who hired me, Paul Douglas, as my partner. Uh, a few years ago when the opening happened, I said, hey, do you want to team up and do the show? And he was interested. So now Paul and I together host the 3 to 6 show on WCCO Radio. Wow. that. Oh, yeah. That's quite um, a career. And you're not even, you know, you're only maybe halfway through, right? Your, your time. I have lots more um, to do. You still have lots more to do, but I love just like your drive and your passion at such a young age. Like you always knew you wanted to be on TV and in journalism. And you just, you were very relentless, right? With your pursuit. You have to um, be. So, yeah. So what a great story and a great example that you're providing to your kids and just to to everyone. Um, so what is it like to be on air live daily, you know, whether it's TV or radio and, you know, maybe even talk about, do you enjoy TV more than radio or vice versa? I just think it's something, you know, you, we all watch the news, right. And I've always thought about waking up early. Like you talked about, like, you know, the grueling life of being on air first thing in the morning. I think about that all the time. What time do these people get up and, <laughs> you know, how do they do this day in and day out? So maybe you can like, dive in and talk a little bit more about that. Um, TV and radio are different. They're, they don't often translate. So I had a big learning curve when I came to radio, as I'm sure Paul would tell you he, will, he, he, he did as well. Um, TV, you know, you have scripts and you have a teleprompter and you can't give an opinion and you just tattletale all day all the bad things that happen in your community. And that got really old for me. 
Uh, I knew even after they canceled the show that I couldn't do it much longer because I literally felt like a tattletale just saying this bad thing happened. This person got arrested and it's negative. It's just a negative environment for me. It was Um, what we were covering. I was happy to be done when I was done and I didn't move. I had another opportunity in Jacksonville to move um, to Florida for another TV news anchor job. And I didn't want it because I didn't want to do it anymore because it is very draining. And uh, so, so TV is fun because you get the performance aspect of it. Except I remind my husband when we're in bed at 10 o'clock at night and we are watching the news, I said, you know, those people are there live. They're not home with their kids. They're, they're there sitting in those chairs and they've been there since three when their kids got home from school. So it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a grueling uh, job as a parent. And when I had small kids, you know, I moved to Eden Prairie to be within a five mile radius of the studio so I could go home on my dinner break and nurse my babies and then go back. Uh, You know, everything was built around that job. And I, radio is a lot more flexible. And with radio, uh, I don't consider myself a journalist anymore because a journalist, you can't take a side or an opinion. Uh, And in radio, we're supposed to give our opinions. That's why we get paid to offer our opinions. And we're not supposed to be neutral. We're supposed supposed to start conversations. We're supposed to ask questions. Uh, we're supposed to push back. So uh, it's almost the opposite of television news. And it's liberating. It's liberating. It's hard because you get a lot of hate. And sometimes you don't always have an opinion on something and you got to read and learn and keep up. But um, And three hours of live radio is exhausting. I'm pretty tired by the end of the day, especially when Paul is doing the morning show like he is uh, filling in this week. But um it's fun and it's liberating and it's much more casual, less Botox. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I like it. Well, and just knowing your personality, I would think that you would find that so much more rewarding, like being able to share your opinion and dive into different things that interest you and bring people on the air that you're passionate about. And like, I can see where that would be so much more engaging in so many ways. Yeah, I have the best job in the world. Like if I read an article that I love in the morning or something that I'm, I'm, I have questions about, I can call my producer and say, I'd really like to have this person on the air and they go find them and they get them on the air. And then that afternoon I can be asking the questions that I had that morning reading something. And it's, uh, I'm very lucky. That's so That's cool. So, cool. <laughs> so I'm wondering, did you watch the morning show with Jennifer Aniston? Mm-hmm. And uh, what did you think of that? Because just having I'm, been in the, their shoes before. Well, certainly not at that level by any means. I was only ever in local news. Uh, certainly not at that level. But it's level. still the same idea. You're still, you know, like you said, you were in the shower at 3 a.m. and getting to the station and having mm-hmm. someone like, it, I'm sure it was, there were some connections there. Yeah, I'm only I'm only a couple episodes into season two. So I haven't finished okay. the second season yet. So, um, but I, I, it's, it's very competitive. It's very yeah. competitive. And if you don't devote much of your life to it, you probably won't be as successful as you probably would have liked to be. So, and certain things, you know, when we get older and we have kids, certain things come into play where your priority is different. As ambitious as I may have been, you know, coming up when I wanted to be Katie Couric, things change when you have a baby or you move to a place you like, I'm from New Jersey. So I always thought I would stay in the New York market but I really love living in Minnesota. I really like it here. And it's a great place to raise your kids. And um, 
I can't imagine going in that early anymore or even doing a nighttime show where, I mean, I work three to six as it is. My kids come home at around 2.30, come kiss me, say hi. I can work from home now because it's radio. I can't imagine leaving the house at two o'clock, not getting home till 11 and not seeing my kids at night. That, mm-hmm. so, you know, the morning show is fun, but it's definitely fiction for me. And I'm glad I, I'm glad it, that didn't work out for me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we had your daughter Marley on last summer and she expressed an interest in following in your footsteps to us. And I'm wondering what advice you give to her after all of your own experience. I think she would like to do something um, that that's not news. That's not necessarily news politics related. I don't think she's necessarily interested in that, which I highly recommend. It is very draining. And these last you know, five years surrounding politics have been terrifying and just horrifying, tragic, really. So I, and, and all consuming, by the way, I know it's affected me personally, professionally, health-wise. It's, it's been hard on those of us who have to live it and breathe it every day that don't get a break from it uh, because it's our job. Again, that's a choice, but it's our job. So what advice do I give her? I give her the advice that I think any parent would give a child that she has to find something that she loves to do. Uh, She has a certain set of skills already at her age that are useful, but useful in any job. You know, the way she can present or the way she can interview or listen in an interview. um, I give her advice. If this is what you love, pursue this, but in your own way. If you don't want to do news, stay out of that. Don't get sucked into that, you know, or, or create something. I mean, I could not have imagined when I was starting out in television news and we were carrying our own Hi8 cameras and shooting on Betamax and Hi8 and editing on these huge systems that you would be able to go live with a phone. You know, that just wasn't a thing. We used to have huge satellite trucks for the ability to do a live shot. There are so many opportunities in media now that are non-traditional. And I would definitely urge her to explore that. That's such great advice. And I think just a plug out there for anyone who's listening who didn't hear Marley's, our conversation with Marley. Um, it's episode 84 and highly, highly recommend it for parents, for any adults and for teens as well, because she's just real and raw and super, um, super mature and articulate and has such great insight for her peer group that I think everyone can benefit from that. Episode. Thank you. So, Thank, yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. very yeah. much. So good job, mama. Thank you. Yeah, they all exactly. make me very proud. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so a couple of years ago, or yeah, I think it's been a couple of years, right? That you received a diagnosis that changed your life. Yeah, it was uh, last October. October okay, 2020. So mm-hmm. I guess it seems like a couple of years. It to feels me. like a couple but, of years. <laughs> yeah. um, can you talk about that a little bit and tell us, you know, how, how your life has been affected by this? Sure. Um, it's actually a bit of a cautionary tale. I, uh, It was, you know, during the pandemic, everything was crazy. Everything had gone awry. In March of 2020, everything shut down. Um, So people were feeling out of sorts. People were emotionally taking this really hard. Mental health was a major issue. And I personally wasn't feeling well. I was feeling very tired. I was feeling um, just so lethargic, had a headache, had headaches a lot. And I went to many doctors seeking help and saying, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel right. Uh, and they said, oh, it's, it's vitamin D. You need some vitamin D. We're just coming off the winter. 
uh, oh, you know, maybe you have ADD. I went to a shrink. They said, you don't have ADD and you're not depressed. Okay, fine. I went to a therapist. Uh, I don't think you have a, she even said, I think you have a good support system. I'm pretty sure you don't need me. I said, okay. Um, I went to my OB to see if I was in um, menopause or perimenopause. She goes, shockingly, you're not. Shockingly, you're not. And I went to my primary care doctor numerous times. And finally, when I was at my wit's end, I said to my primary care doctor, I, I need you to help me because I don't feel right. Something is wrong. And he said to me, uh, I'm sensing a lot of aggression from you. I think you just have depression. My wife is your age and everybody has depression now. Everybody's depressed because of the pandemic and you need some Lexapro. Oh, oh my God. Oh and I was, my God. That is I was so horrible. I, was I hope you tears. fired him. I was almost yeah. in tears on the call. And I said, fine. You know, even though the shrink and the therapist said that I didn't need that, I said, fine, give me the Lexapro. I'll try it. I, I don't have anything against medication. I think people should take it if they need it. But I was having these physical symptoms that were, you know, night sweats. I was, I, I couldn't sleep. It was really bad. And, um, and he was so awful that, and I was so defeated. And this is already, you know, the fourth time I had talked to the office and people couldn't find anything wrong with me. I said, fine. So I started taking the Lexapro, did not feel any better. Um, and then I had a symptom that I couldn't ignore. I was seeing spots on my skin, uh, like bruises, bruises. And I don't know if you guys remember Al Zellickson, Stu Zellickson's husband. You remember Al? Yeah. Al is a dermatologist here for years. His, his yeah. son, Brian, yeah. that runs a big uh, dermatology firm. Uh, Sue is a friend of mine. And so my husband, I showed my husband the bruises and he goes, let's go see Al. So like a, I don't know, Sunday night or something. We went over to the house because we're friends. And this is when Al was alive. I mean, he, memory be a blessing. And he said, you know, Joe, it might be that medication the doctor gave you. He might be causing some bruising. He said, but you need to have some blood work. Go get your blood work taken. And that was um, October 20th, I believe. Or no, it was, it was the 19th, October 19th of 2020. The next morning I went in to my primary care office and I got the blood work taken. At 11.30 that night, my husband's phone rings. I'm, a, I'm almost asleep. I took a sleeping pill, whatever they would give me, you know, I would take. Took my Lexapro like a good little girl. And... Um, the doctor says, I'm trying to reach Jordana. She needs to go to the hospital right away. My husband's like, she's asleep next to me. What's going on? No, she doesn't. And she put me on the phone and she said, you, your platelet count, platelets are a marker in your blood that helps clotting is at 19. And anything under 20 or 25, we consider life-threatening and you need to go to the hospital right now. And I said, I'll go in the morning because I'm really tired. And she said, nope, right now. So Mark mm -hmm. and I went to the hospital that night, went to the ER. And uh, the next morning I had a bone marrow biopsy, which is a surgery where they extract some of your bone marrow and they told me I had leukemia. Oh. And they told me that I immediately needed to be transferred somewhere for treatment because they could not help me. They'd only seen one other case of what I had. I have a form of a pediatric leukemia. And um, they said, I need to start treatment right away. So I begged to go home for one night with the kids. I said, I need at least a night. And, and, and my kids were calling and texting all day and where are you? What's happening? This is longer than a doctor's appointment, mom, what's going on. And I had to make that phone call to them. I had their dad go to the house and FaceTime me from the hospital room. And I had to tell them that I had cancer and that I wasn't sure when I was going to come home. Uh, they did release me a day or two later. So I got a night with the kids uh, to have dinner and pack. And then Mark and I went to Mayo for almost the next eight months. Wow. I, I mean, so many thoughts running through my head. I can't, you know, I, 
The cautionary tale is about the doctor. Is about women. You need to listen to your doctor because this guy was a jerk and um, he made me feel awful and bad. And I knew that something was wrong. And this is why we really need to be our own advocates. Well, and, and the fact that you listened to your body, you knew in your heart that something was not right. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go back to that doctor no. and let, no, I mean, did you like circle back and let him know? You know, it's interesting. I thought about that. I actually thought about telling his colleague who was a hospitalist who came to visit me from the same clinic. Um, but I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I figured people make mistakes or maybe he was having a bad day. Um, but I was recently hospitalized for another infection and I'm, I've, I've been in remission since last November. So I'm doing okay today. And Yay. I just got another <laughs> marrow biopsy report that says I'm still in complete remission. So thank God after awesome. eight rounds of chemo at the Mayo inpatient rounds. Um, and I still take, um, I, I have two years of maintenance ahead of me. Thank God I'm still in remission. But um, his boss, the person that runs the clinic, actually was doing rounds at the hospital that I was admitted to. And to my dismay, my husband told him the story. I wasn't in the room. My husband talked to him outside the room and he told him the story. And he just felt that, um, that, that he should know. That he said, I agree. I agree 100%, actually, because you don't want him to do that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like that's not right. a, that's not a good way to practice medicine. You we all not need be- feedback. We all need feedback, whether it's positive or constructive. And that's all you're doing is giving him feedback so he can do his job better in the future. Right. That's fair. But you know, it's, it's interesting that he didn't even run any labs for you. Like just do basic blood work. That is shocking. Actually. How easy is that? I know. <laughs> yeah. That's shocking to me too. I know. Well, people are busy, right? Maybe uh, he needs some Lexapro. Yeah. <laughs> he can take his own advice, I guess. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're sitting here, you're in remission. This is awesome. I've followed your story on Instagram. You've been very, you know, public and open about sharing your experiences, but for our listeners, can you just talk about how has your daily life been affected by your leukemia diagnosis and, you know, maybe even dive into the move to Rochester. You mentioned that you were at Mayo for eight months and the impact of you on you and your family, you know, with three kids. Yeah. Um, the way they treat my kind of leukemia, which is called T-cell ALL, um, you have to be in the hospital for about a month, uh, you know, chemo, steroids, spinal taps, They and, and you have to have, be in seclusion uh, for about a month for your induction. So like for the month of November, uh, I was in the hospital all last November. I was in the hospital. I came home for a week, and then I went for my second round. Uh, and and you do eight rounds of chemo. Many people in my situation go for a bone marrow transplant, and we didn't know what was going to happen for me at the beginning. In fact, my doctor, who my my main doctor, who's a fellow at the at the Mayo, who stayed with me the whole time, said you'll probably go to transplant. And I said, okay, I mean, I'm not a doctor. Whatever is going to keep me alive is what I'm going to do. I didn't have a horse in that race, I, whatever. So, but because I went into full remission after my first round of induction chemo, they decided to keep me doing chemo and see if I would stay in remission. And I did for all eight rounds of that chemo. So there was really no need to do the transplant. And they kind of like to save the transplant if God forbid, God forbid, Kanahara, you know, that it comes back later, they can do a transplant later. 
And by the way, they found me a hundred percent match. It's none of my siblings or my cousins or anybody related to me. They said they found me a match who is a, a male in Germany, who is a hundred percent of my bone marrow match. How they find this. I know. I, I don't know who it is. They don't tell you who it is, but if I but need it's him, there, if you were to need, God forbid, have, need it. They have to ask him if he's still willing. He's on the registry. So they have to ask him if he's willing and hopefully he still would be if I need it. Hopefully we will never come to that. that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. And, and this is, this is during my daughter's senior year of high school. So we're already living in a pandemic. The kids are doing online school and I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm in the hospital. And because of COVID, nobody could visit me. There was a point where we were allowed to have one visitor, which was my husband who would stay down there. We got an apartment in Rochester and he would stay down there and come visit me for, you know, a little bit uh, each day. The treatments are grueling. But at some point during COVID, my nurses came in and said, the protocols are such that nobody can have any visitors. And when you're looking down the nose of weeks in the hospital by yourself, and the days are just endless, and you feel like crap, it was horrible. There's no other way for me to describe it. It was horrible. I think looking back, could I have had visitors that would have made it a lot better, but COVID made it so much worse. And I'm grateful for the apartment that Mark could be close by. And eventually uh, when my treatments got shorter, you would only have to stay a week in the hospital instead of a month, like I did in the beginning. Um, but I would have to be relegated to the, my apartment. Cause I could, would come back every day for outpatient treatments and infusions and things like that. Um, the kids would come down. So they would stay a night. It was a teeny tiny little apartment, but they would come down and see me. And, you know, I would get to go home for maybe a week in between treatments, but it was a really shitty eight months. And um, I think that we won't fully know the repercussions of what that did to us for years to come. Mm-hmm. But it, it brought us together. My kids are amazing. I mean, my husband is the most incredible caretaker ever. He really rose to the challenge and he is everybody should have a caretaker like Mark. He's, he did everything. He's amazing. Um, but I felt bad for my kids because they were without me home doing their schoolwork, you know, and I mean, thank God they had their dad, but, um, it was not an easy year. And when you were in that hospital room by yourself for all that time, how did you pick yourself up every day and maintain the attitude that I saw and read through that whole experience. And like, how did you pass the time? Did you, were you able to talk to other patients? Were the nurses your connection? I'm assuming you weren't reading because I'm guessing that was hard to do, but how did you pass your time? Um, There were days, Marnie, when I would get up and I would look at the clock and I would think to myself, I can't believe I'm going to, be staring at this clock all day. It's so many hours till I get to take my Ambien and go to sleep again at night. Um, you know, I would FaceTime with my kids and friends. Um, reading was hard because the chemo messes with your eyes. So that was really mm-hmm. a challenge. Even watching TV, sometimes it was blurry, but I would watch, I would try to watch TV. You know, um, when I was well enough, I would take walks around the, around the, my ward, my, my, my hall, but we can't leave when we're that sick, we can't even have a live plant or anything. We, you know, we couldn't leave our area. So it was very short walk. Um, and the nurses were great, but you know, they have to, they have to take care of everybody. You know, um, there was not necessarily a camaraderie on the hall. Everybody's just trying to stay alive. Everybody's mm-hmm. just trying to 
be alive. So I, some days I look back and I think, I don't know how I, it, they were long days. They were really long days. And I remember thinking that when I would wake up in the morning, how am I going to get through this day? But it just, I would say to myself, just get through the next minute chore. Just let's get through the next minute. All of a sudden it would be five minutes. Then it would be, ten, then, then it was the next hour. Then, okay, let me watch a show. Then I would look at the clock again. Okay. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, so like there are just mind tricks that you play with yourself because you just, you don't have to get through the day. You have to get through the, that minute. And especially if you're have a treatment that's painful or anticipating something that is not fun, like a chemo or something like that, um, you just have to play tricks with yourself and just get through the next moment. And uh, people sent me amazing cards and letters. The listeners from work were amazing. So I would, you know, listen to those or, or read, read through those. And um, yeah, I, you do what you have to do when you, you are there. There was nothing else to do. I didn't have an option. You know, I was hooked up and it wasn't all roses. Like I, when I would write, I hope I was honest because it was not fun and it was hard. And um, I hope I did not make it seem like this was easy. No, you didn't. No. And I think, um, but your strength came through. I know no alternative, Marna. I have too much to live for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and your support system, like you clearly mm-hmm. have this amazing support system, your yeah. friends, your family, your work, you know, your listeners, like you were enveloped with all of this support. And I have to believe that that really helped push along, push you along. That's true. That's true. When I was well enough, I would do the show from my hospital room or I would do a couple of segments. You know, I would call in from my hospital room and the listeners were just so amazing. I mean, they would send me packages to the Mayo that just said Jordana Green Mayo Clinic and they would get there. They would get to my room and and the support really was incredible. And I did feel loved and supported and that helped a ton. Yeah. And clearly you have such a positive attitude. Like you're just, you know, how did you keep that up through, through this really hard, challenging time? You know, is that well, I didn't, like, I didn't, yeah. it, you know, it, 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 I had many weak moments that I was on the floor of the bathroom at the Mayo, my, my room in the Mayo Clinic. Like there were a lot of dark days and, um, you know, you try not to remember that and you try to write on the days where you're feeling better, you know, where I write on my caring bridge, like, okay, here's an update. You know, I feel a little bit better that I can get through this. Um, and, but again, you guys, you have kids, you have a family, you have a great life. I have a great life. I wanted to get back to it. And I was like, let's be done. Let's get this done. I got shit I got to do. I want to get home. I want to feel better. So just get the shit done. So what would you say you've learned through all of this? Like, what are some of the biggest takeaways from this experience? People are amazing. I mean, the, again, the support from the listeners, people that, that know that I don't know them, they would say, you don't know me, but I listen every day. I mean, the fact that they took time to write me a card or send me a pair of fuzzy slippers or something was astounding to me that um, people are good because I struggle with that. I see a lot of bad too on the text line and the calling line. So there's a lot of bad in the world, but uh, at least people here are good. Um, the resilience of my children has been amazing to watch. Uh, my husband has shown, like, I mean, he's a god. He's just amazing with me. But I think the things that I have learned, um, that I'm still learning, because I don't know that we learn the lessons and, and we get to move on, but 
I think it's the fact that um, control is such a hard thing. You know, you think that your life is looking one way and you can do all of the things that you plan to do. And then something throws a wrench into that life and you have to give it all up. You know, I had to stop working. I had to stop mothering. I had to stop being a wife. And I had to come to terms with stopping all of those things. And I couldn't be there for my daughter when she was filling out all her applications. We had to do it on FaceTime. Or I wasn't there for my son, you know, when he wanted civics help. Or even my little one when she was, I don't know, wanted to talk about her girlfriend. She was 13 years old. So uh, that was hard. But yet, I think it brought us closer. So I think that, the and this isn't anything new or revolutionary, but the hardest things that you do in your life end up for the better with the people that you love. I feel a closer relationship with my listeners, with my bosses, uh, certainly with my family. So... And, and giving up control probably shouldn't be as hard as we make it. In our lives, we want to control so many things. And when you are forced to give it up, you know that you can do it again. So that if something in my life doesn't work out the next time that I'm trying to control, that's okay, because I'm just going to keep going and do something else. And, um, and also that it could all end. It, I know that's like a horrible and sad thing to say, but I remember because the odds for my cancer, they're not, they're, they're not great. They're not terrible, but they're not great. And I said to my doctor, you know, they were talking about treatment and I said, I just need to live. I just want to live. And he said, Jordana, that is all of our goals. We want you to live. That's our goal. That's everybody's goal is for you to live. And I think rec I think having, that time where you think I might not is when you really take stock and appreciate, um, I hope it's not too cliche to sound, but appreciate the things that are the most important. And if you do get through it, keep working toward goals with those that are most important, family, friends, support from the community. Um, you really understand things that are important and you can release other things that goes with releasing the control. You know, there are things I wanted to accomplish, things I wanted to do that I'm like, that doesn't matter anymore. That is off the table. Um, and the one thing I'm learning now, because I'm not um, totally healed, you know, I've had infections since I've really struggled with my maintenance. I've had to take a break from my chemo and we're not sure if we're going to start it again or not. So that's something we're grappling with. Um, is that getting out of bed is hard for me every day. So the fact that I did 10 sun salutations yesterday was a major victory. And I used to do 100. And now I got through 10. And I struggle with the, okay, the perfectionist Jordana that said I should be able to do 100. But I did 10, but 10 is a victory. And I have to be okay with the 10. And that's hard but I'm getting there. I'm learning that every day. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, sorry to bring you girls down. Sorry about no, that. No, you're not bringing I, me down. I'm thinking like about so much of what you said and about just the giving up control because it is hard. Yeah. And I think, like you said, when you're forced to do it, hopefully there won't be a next time, but if there is a next time, it probably does get a little bit easier. 
there is a next time because something in business won't work out or, you know, a financial right. opportunity won't work out or, you know, a kid won't get into the college that they want. You know, that looks different when is my mom going to live versus I didn't get into the college I want. There's a big lesson there. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, that's that seems a little less of a bitter pill to swallow when you're faced with something that could be very dire. So well, I think it puts problems. everything yeah, puts it all in perspective. So when that next time comes around and it will, like you just mentioned, you're able to just brush it off and not sweat the small stuff and enjoy the people that you're with and your family. Cause that's what's, you know, most important. And uh, so how has your life, you know, how just, if you think about this experience and this learning and, you know, the, the control piece and letting go, how has that changed, you know, just like you and your family kind of post, post going through the leukemia. I mean, you still, obviously you're still dealing with it now, but yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, like I what, what shifts have you noticed? I mean, I, I would, I like to think that I'm a lot more chill, you know, I'm a lot more, um, if they come home with a B, not that I was ever too hyper about them, about their grades, but I'm the one who says, you know, that's okay. You is, did you do your best? No problem. Let's not be crazy about that. You know, I'm the one who says, let's play a little more hooky, or, um, or, or accom- almost accomplish less. You know, my mm-hmm. days were always packed with things to do, things to accomplish. Um, and it's okay sometimes if we do less. So that, because I, I, I can't do a lot now. Physically, I can't. I'm, you know, I'm just much, much weaker than I was and still dealing because I take meds now still too. So I'm still, I never feel good, you know, so I... It's like, if I get through my show, that's a victory and I get through it almost every day. And, and that's, you know, so I consider that uh, a good thing. So I'm, I'm way more chill about things that need to get done or have to get done or have to get accomplished. Um, things like that. I think I'm also, if I wasn't an open, honest book before, which I like to think that I tried to be, especially on the radio. Um, I think that it's just all out there now. You know, it's just when people see you with your IVs and your arms with no makeup, when when you're totally bald, you know, this hair is just what's grown back since, I mean, I've been bald for the last year. So I think once you just are completely exposed like that, there's no more that people don't know. So you can truly be who you want to be. You can say what you want to say. I've, I've noticed it on the radio. I'm more free with my opinions and I don't give a shit who doesn't like it. If you don't get a COVID vaccine, you're an idiot and I'll say it, you know, so I, I just, I'm done with people, um, you know, tiptoeing around. If you've got a strong opinion, if you feel strongly about something, um, I definitely say it. So I think I'm more emboldened. I, I do feel freer in my life now. And, 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 and something about being faced with death, especially your own, makes you freer in your relationships. You know, like I talk to my kids about this, like, okay, well, someday if I'm not here, this is what I want you to learn. This is a conversation I want us to have. Let's have it now. I'm not waiting till you get married or you, you do this. Like, I think you form these connections with your family that, because it takes you down that road, the what ifs. So you don't want to, and and if you end up there, you don't want to have to have those what ifs. I don't want to have to have missed out on anything um, with my kids if, you know, it does come back or if if I'm not here as long as I want to be. So I think, I think it's changed me in those ways. 
Well, and I love that you said you feel freer and more emboldened to just be your authentic, not that you weren't your authentic self, but that you're letting it all out. And I've noticed, you know, that you post these Shabbat videos on Facebook every Friday. And I'm always amazed, first of all, that you have like this whole host of company over, you cook dinner, you bake challah, you look so relaxed. You put it, you put it out there on Facebook every single Friday. And the first, I'm going to be honest, the first time I saw you do that, my first thought was, oh my gosh, everybody's going to know she's Jewish because I, being a Jew in Minnesota, do sometimes worry about that and wonder, oh my God, you know, are like, I, I, I don't put it all out there all the time just because there is a lot of anti-Semitism out there. And I wonder, I don't know, can you talk about that? There's so much to that. Besides the fact that, you know, you're putting out there that you're Jewish, but also that you're putting these dinners together every single week. <laughs> my I, husband it helps blows a lot. my mind. <laughs> my husband helps a lot. You girls will have to come. My husband helps a lot. I cook in the morning and yeah, I bake challah and then he sets everything up while I'm doing my show. And then my show is done. The table is set. The kids pitch in. It's a, it's a labor of love for the whole family. So um, yes, we try to do it every week, but that's it. Like I can't do it every week, Marnie. So I have to release that also. It can't, like this week, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. I'm working. I have to get Marley from Madison. You know, I don't think it's going to happen for me this week. And I have to release that. I'll I'll light candles and I'll post a picture and and that'll have to be it for me. But um, we do that. We started that because Mark's, Mark's son is in New York. So we started that as sort of a way to light candles with him. But then I was getting such a good response and I put it on my private Facebook. And I was getting such a good response that I was like, oh, Um, okay, people are liking it. Let's share. And my oldest, Marley, who, you know, once said to me that one of the, it's probably in a birthday card or something, that one of the reasons she loves me, one of the many reasons she loves me is because I'm a proud Jew. And I grew up with tuck your star into your shirt. When you get on the airplane, if there's a terrorist, he's going to kill you first. Me too. You know, hide your jewelry because yeah. yeah. no, nobody should know you're Jewish. You know, don't, oh, don't tell anybody that you're kosher. Just order the vegetarian. You know, I grew up in New Jersey sort of that way with, I'm sure, parents who were trying to protect us from anti-Semitism. But everything was a secret. You know, we weren't, I, I don't know that we were proud of our Jewishness. And, we, and if we were, we didn't express it publicly. And I didn't want to be that way. I think we have such an incredible Jewish community here, albeit small. Um, that I feel very supported within the community. And I talk about it on the radio a lot. And the feedback I was getting from the radio was, Jordani, I knew a Jewish girl once. You're, you're just like her. Or thank you for teaching me about Hanukkah. <laughs> or, you know, they, and they say things like that, which leads me to believe that, that they're interested in that. And that's good because I, you know, my Twitter handle is Minnesota's Jewish friend. Now you can say you have one. You know, I'm it. I will tell you about all the Jew stuff and and I'm a practicing Jew. So I know about my religion. We, you know, we do Shabbos, we keep Kashrut. So, um, so I did put it out there and on my personal one, I have never gotten any hate or feedback. I've gotten a lot of confusion. Like, what is this? Tell me more about this. But nobody has responded in an anti-Semitic way on the Facebook live. But something interesting happened a few weeks ago, or maybe it was a few months ago. Instead of putting it on my private uh, Jordana Green profile, I was accidentally using the Paul and Jordana profile. So I Facebook live streamed on my work account. Okay, we have a Paul and Jordana Facebook page for the for WCCO radio. And it was an accident. I thought it was on mine. I didn't check. 
And I, this, I got this huge response from people that are like, I don't know what this is, but this looks awesome. Can I taste that? What is that? They're asking me all these questions. <laughs> and it's just further affirmation that um, we should be out there, or I should at least be out there talking about Judaism, sharing it with people. It's beautiful religion. I love it. I'm proud of it. And the fact that Marley was proud that I was a proud Jew kind of, it all makes me want to do it more. So no, I have not received any hate from that. Maybe just the right people aren't seeing it if they want to spew some hate, but um, I'm really glad that we can do that. I think of it almost as a service. I I love that you're doing that. And I think it's, you know, it's like traveling to another country and experiencing another culture, but you don't have to go very far. Yeah, yeah. And the more people that are exposed to it and ask questions and are just, you know, that intellectual curiosity, they can also be a support for when those anti-Semitic remarks come up and they can defend, you know, because they're mm-hmm. now educated. So I think you can have this ripple effect, actually, what you're doing. Um, that's how it feels. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. That's so great. Oh, so just, you know, a couple of questions as we start to wrap this up. Curious, did you incorporate any like other alternative healing modalities or anything else during or after your treatment? Obviously, you know, we're doing all the chemo and the traditional stuff. Uh, You know, I practice yoga, so I would do that as much as I can. I've been doing that for 10, 15 years, so I would do as much as I can, um, you know, with leukemia and, and my treatment, there's a lot of fatigue. There are days where you can't get out of bed. So I lost all my muscle tone, whatever I had, it's gone now. So, um, you know, it's been hard to do, but I've been trying to get some of it back. And even in the hospital, when I was feeling strong, I would, you know, try to do a side plank or, you know, I would try to do something. Um, I meditate. So I definitely, uh, try to keep up with that. In the hospital, there was a lot of time for that, even though your brain is fuzzy because you get all this brain fog with the treatments, you're pretty useless in the hospital, but I try. And afterward, I was having a lot of nausea from my chemo maintenance. I tried acupuncture, but um, with my kind of leukemia and my lack of um, my my blood numbers not coming, not rebounding well. I don't rebound well from the chemo treatments. It takes me a long time to rebound. I don't know why. It's just me. Um, the the acupuncture was bruising my skin so badly that I would end up with big bruises. So even though they're tiny needles, I would end up with a bleed and a bruise. So unfortunately I had to stop that. I think it probably would have helped with the nausea, but I I couldn't continue. And as for now, I try not to mess with the meds that they're giving me. And I just try to eat as healthy as I can, uh, even though I like sugar, which I still eat um, and just do the best I can. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. that's great. And that's all you really can do. We can all do the best we can with what mm-hmm. we have, right? So is there any advice you would give to our listeners, whether they have just received a cancer diagnosis or a loved one has? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say feel the feelings. Like I remember, you know, when, when you when you hear that you have cancer, you don't like immediately want to think like, oh my God, I could die. This is terrible. Uh, but all of these horrible thoughts come into your head. And if you keep pushing those thoughts out, they will come back to haunt you. So I would walk through the scenarios. Okay, what if they tell me I'm gonna die? What are some of my next steps? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna talk to my kids? What am I, you know, what, what's, what's the plan here if that does happen? And how do I wanna spend my last time, my, you know, whatever time I have left? You gotta walk through that. And then it sort of takes the scariness away a little bit. 
I only thought I was going to die like once or twice. I always felt that this was just a thing that I had to get through. When I was in the emergency room and I was diagnosed here at Abbott because they had done the emergency bone marrow biopsy uh, because the platelets were so low. And he came into my room and he said, okay, it's confirmed you have leukemia. Um, I remember not being surprised when he told me that. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And I remember not looking at my husband because I think he was not having a good reaction to that. Um, but I remember thinking, okay, what's next? What do I do? Put me to work. What do I do? Where do I go? What do I do? How do I get rid of it? You know, I have it. That sucks. Uh, now I got to get rid of it. So it was never like, I never had the, why did this happen to me? What was me? You know, I, I don't think a lot of people feel that way. I didn't feel that way because people get cancer. A lot of people get cancer. A lot of people I know have cancer. So why wouldn't I get cancer? It's, I'm not special or different. Of course it would happen to me, just like it would happen to anybody else. But I remember um, that helped me after it all happened, thinking, what's next? What's next? Just what's next? Instead of wallowing in why, it's how can I get, how can I get rid of it? So I think that would probably be the advice because when you have a plan and you have doctors in place, you can trust in the plan and then you can get better and you can heal. And, you know, I know, Marnie, you talked about a positive attitude, a hundred percent positive attitude helps, but when you are suffering, it's really hard and it's okay to have a shitty attitude on a lot of days and it's okay to feel sorry for yourself and it's okay to be sad uh, and it's okay to ask, why did this happen to me? But don't, you can't stay there. You, you got to, you got to get out of it. You got to do whatever you can do to help yourself and move forward from there. So that would be my advice. Feel all the feelings, even the scary ones, so you can work through the worst case scenario and always be asking what's next. That's such great advice. Thank you. So Jordana, where can people find you? Ah, okay. Where, where my favorite. Listen? Yeah, well, they can listen, of course, on the radio um, at w, WCCO Radio, you, there's an Odyssey app. Odyssey is our parent company, A-U-D-A-C-Y. You can download the Odyssey app. And the Paul and Jordana show is on from three to six every day, Monday through Friday. You can Central listen time. To, Central time. Central time. You can listen to the podcast. Um, there's tons of podcasts on there. Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's my favorite. That's my favorite social media. I think it's the most fun and it's the most lighthearted. Even though I should, you know what, Marnie, I should be doing the Facebook or the, the Shabbos on, on Insta instead of Facebook, mm -hmm. but I, I should change that up a little bit. Yeah. I just feel like Facebook, we have older relatives that are on Facebook that aren't on Instagram that are watching. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm on Insta at Jordana Verde, V-E-R-D-E, -E, which is green. And um, soon I'm going to start speaking. So I've hooked up with a... Uh, a speaking company that's going to send me out because in this time, as, as a person who says, you know, I have a hard time getting out of bed, I've also been writing a speech and thinking about that because uh, there are things to, to say and to share. So I'm going to be doing that and I'm going to get my website, uh, jordangreen.com up very shortly. So are you going to be speaking about your journey? It's, okay. and it's, it's not a speech about cancer. I, I always say nobody wants to hear about cancer. Nobody wants to hear about my cancer or their cancer. People who have cancer don't want to always talk about cancer, blah, blah, blah. But, um, and I don't think I'm old enough or wise enough to teach the lessons learned from cancer because I think we're all learning them and, and they're different for all of us. You know, we all have different takeaways. Um, but it is, it's, my speech is about moments of clarity. 
It's about moments in my life that were pivotal to get me to the next right move in my life. And certainly a cancer diagnosis plays a role in that. In fact, it's the reason in a moment of clarity, sort of all of this information kind of came to me thinking about, oh, okay. I was thinking about what I do next. And I, all these moments in my past life were like, okay, well, when that happened, you did this. And when that happened, you did this. And, and um, I know other people have them, but it sort of came to me in one of those moments of clarity that I was like, oh, these are the steps that I can identify. So I, I quickly wrote them all down, formed it into a speech, and um, hopefully I'll be speaking soon. Well, I'll look That's forward awesome. to hearing you speak somewhere. That's awesome. You got it. You got it. Um, so Jordana, as we wrap up this conversation, one question we ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Hmm. I did think about this. So thank you for the heads up on that. The art of living well, and you can ask my children, this is what I tell them, is being happy where you are in that moment. It's not wanting anything else other than that moment. My son once, my son taught me this lesson years ago when he was, I mean, he's only 16 now. So this is, must be at least six, eight years ago. He was, we were in the car and he said, mom, I had a great day. He learned how to do a backflip on a trampoline. He said, I accomplished my goal of learning how to do a backflip on a trampoline. And now I'm going to a party to see my friends. This is the best day ever. And I mm -hmm. thought if we could all live in that space, of feeling good about something you did that day, looking forward to something, being with friends. It wasn't down the road. It wasn't, I'm gonna do this, or I'm gonna have this or get this. He was so in the moment. And I thought, I just wanna bottle that feeling. And especially after cancer, sometimes when I'm on the couch with my kids and my husband, I'm just so happy to be right there. I'm so grateful to be alive to be not hooked up to anything, to not have any tubes coming out of me, to be feeling okay, and to be enjoying a movie. And because that's all there is. It's never about next week or what I'm gonna get or where I'm gonna go. It's always about that moment. So that, the art of living well is learning to find those moments. Identify those moments where you are happy, where you are in that space. And they pass, they, they're, they're fluid, they pass. You can't always live in the moment. People say live in the moment. You can't always because some moments suck and you don't wanna be there and that's okay because you gotta get through that. But when you can identify the ones that are just perfect, relishing that for that is the art of living well. That's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I believe with my heart, everything you just said and you just gave me goosebumps. I know. I'm glad we're not on video right now. I'll just <laughs> I know. My eyes keep tearing up. I was sniffing the whole time, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, sorry I got so emotional, no. girls. This is real, and I think it's so important for everyone to hear, and you can't hear this message enough. You know, uh, I love your response. So thank you for being here today with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You girls are excellent interviewers. I felt very comfortable, comfortable enough to cry, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and we just oh. wish you a happy, you know, rest of this year and a happy, healthy 2022 for you and your family. Well, you guys are wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. You guys have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.